Well, hey, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, my name is Zach Everly. I get the, the blessing and privilege of being the director of Salt Company here. I'm on staff with Anthem Church. Um, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you after service. Um, welcome back for spring semester. For those of you that are here for your first time, I just wanted to extend a special welcome. We're glad that you decided to join us today. Um, I know that, that spring break, or spring break, good grief. Uh, spring semester is kind of a nice little fresh restart for a lot of you guys coming back for a new semester. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament, which is in the back half of the Bible. It's about three-quarters-ish of the way through the Bible. Um, how are we feeling about a little story time tonight? All right, it's, it's syllabus week. I didn't want to put the cookies too high on the shelf for us today because you guys are still getting warmed up and shaking off the uh, winter break. Uh, you know, just slowness, I suppose. But what I want to do tonight is very simply, I just want to share a true radical story about forgiveness and healing from my favorite book in the whole world. And I want to offer some thoughts and commentary about it. Can we do that together? Does that sound good? Awesome. All right, Mark chapter one or chapter two, pick me up in verse one. And when he, speaking of Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this time tonight. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom and discernment and guidance this evening. God, I'm so grateful this is a true story, that the Bible is a real book, that Jesus, you're actually living and active in our lives, that you're Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray for the students who are here tonight for the first time, or students who've been invited by someone, and they don't know why they're here. God, I believe you have them here for a purpose. God, would you soften my heart? Would you soften these students' hearts, would you open our eyes, open our ears to the things that you would teach us from your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the context here? Right, so Jesus has spent his first couple of days of public ministry doing a lot of pretty crazy things. So a couple things just to note, in chapter one of Mark, he's been healing all kinds of people. Somebody who's possessed by a demon, yes, that actually happens. With a fever and sickness, doesn't need ibuprofen, he, he helps cleanse a leper, he heals him. So word has gotten around about this, this Jesus guy, this carpenter from Nazareth, 
who's doing these pretty miraculous things, performing these crazy miracles around the cities. And he's, what the Bible says is he's at home, which is more than likely it's at his, uh, one of his disciples, one of his followers, Peter. He's actually probably at Peter's home. And what's happening here is, is there are so many people that are crowded around this place because they're wanting to see what all the fuss is about, right? What's going on with this Jesus guy? I just want to come listen. I just want to see. I've, I've heard murmurs throughout the cities. What's going on with this guy? There's something kind of in the water. And can you imagine if, if someone came to Columbia, right, and Instagram's just blowing up. Somebody's just walking through the uh, University of Missouri hospital. They're just touching people and saying, be healed, and cancer's healed, sickness is healed, all kinds of stuff. I don't think we'd probably just sit on Instagram and be like, that's pretty dope. Like, we'd be running to go find this guy. Like, what's the story? Where is he from? How does he do this? Same idea here. See, we would all be running to go see this guy, and what Jesus is doing in this time is he's, he's preaching the word to them. He's preaching to them about himself, about the life that you can actually have with God, that, hey, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven with me, and I would love for you to join me. I'm looking for followers that I, I've come to bring and purchase. Would you come follow me? But then here comes four dudes, right, carrying their paralyzed friend to the house. And you can imagine this scene, too. This guy, this paralyzed man, his legs don't work. He can't walk. He can't move. He can't go from point A to point B. He needs help. You can imagine the shame that this guy must carry. But the hope that he's, he's got, he's like, I've heard these stories about this, this God-man Jesus, this kind of carpenter guy from Nazareth. Is there, I've heard the ways that he's healed the leper. He's, he's cleansed these different people. Do you think there's hope for me, the paralyzed guy that can't even walk? There's just a glimmer of hope. You can imagine the shame he feels. The guy can't walk. He can't even move. He has to have one, not two, not three, but four of his buddies carry him who knows how far. The devastation, man. Can you imagine that he must have felt as he walked up to the house, the anticipation, kind of the emotional turmoil, and he gets there, and it's full. It's crowded. I can't get in the door. I can't even walk. The house was packed out. But in desperation, these friends, because they have faith, as does the paralytic, they decide to climb up on the roof. And the roofs in this time would have been probably of clay and grass, so they get up on top of the roof and they're digging a hole, desperate to find healing. This guy wants to walk again so bad. He's paralyzed physically. So desperate to do anything to find freedom and healing. He needs this. This is his life. He's got these four guys to bring him to what he thinks has got to be his last and only hope. But friends, let's not be so quick to gloss over this fact that every single one of us, to some degree or another, is actually in paralysis. We're actually paralyzed by something. So the question tonight, very simply, is where do you feel paralyzed? Where do you feel paralyzed? It isn't just physical. We can feel paralyzed emotionally, perhaps spiritually, perhaps relationally. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, this whole Christian thing, it's kind of corny. This Jesus guy, he's just kind of a good moral teacher, right? Like, Zach, it's, there's not really a whole lot that's going on in this text. It's just kind of a, a feel-good story. It's just kind of a fantasy movie. 
But man, friends, if, if we were actually honest with ourselves, I think we would, in a moment of sobriety, actually admit, I'm not okay. I am paralyzed by something. When you realize that you're paralyzed, and you want to find freedom, and you want to find healing, you'll grab anything to make that thing happen. Perhaps it's unspoken fears that you carry. Am I worthy? Am I loved? Am I enough? Am I beautiful enough? Am I handsome enough? Am I smart enough? Am I desired? Could be just hard memories from your past that you carry with you, like a dumbbell in a backpack. Depression, anxiety, the things that you carry that you wake up every morning, you wish that would just go away. Shame from mental health struggles, the lies you're believing about yourself that cripple and paralyze you. Past relationships, the way you handled them, or the way you were hurt, the burden that you're carrying, the anger that you feel in your heart towards a friend, the bitterness that you've let stem up against your parents, addictions to pornography, to sex outside of marriage, to drugs, to alcohol, the lusts of the world, the praise of attention. You lust after these things and you just can't seem to escape it. the expectations of your parents and friends, or maybe the expectations that you put on yourself. See, friends, everything from a playful lie to murder, whether we're harboring bitterness, gossiping, stealing, or lusting after the things of this world, we go against what God has declared to be right. And going against God, the creator of the universe, and the things that he's declared to be good and morally correct, according to the Bible... We call that sin. And all of us, myself included, will do anything to find freedom and healing from sin because we are all sinners. We all need a way out. We all need an escape from the shame that we carry. But verse 5 continues on. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It says when Jesus sees their faith, hold on to that word faith. We'll come back to it in a little bit. But this is kind of bizarre, right? The, 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 the paralytic comes up and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And he goes, are you, that's, Jesus, that's backwards. That's not what I came here to get healed from. My legs don't work. I can't walk. I can't run. I can't move. Jesus, are you kidding me? I don't need you to forgive my sins. I need you to heal my legs so I can walk. If I was a Pharisee, I'd be bummed out. It's not what I came here to, to, to get. Jesus, you don't understand. This is crippling me. I can't do anything. It's not what I wanted. But you know what Jesus saw, friends? He saw that he was paralyzed. And he'll deal with that later, I promise. But what Jesus saw was that sin was actually his problem. And he couldn't, and you can't do anything to free you from that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned, that's what we just talked about, and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection. And every single one of us has fallen short. We, have, we are not capable, we are not enough to, to hit the benchmark of perfection. 
So all have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. We have all sinned. We have disobeyed God. We have evil in our hearts. We have brokenness that we carry with us. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. I see, friends, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the scribes, they knew everything there was to know about the Bible. They knew all the right answers. And what they do is they're, they're questioning the declaration that Jesus just made. It's like, did he really just say that? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's a, that's a bold statement to make, carpenter guy. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, I love this, he's got eyes in the back of his head, he's sneaky, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? See, the Pharisees are questioning, they're confronting their realities. Is Jesus really who he says he is? That's fake. That's not true. There's no way. Who is this man that he'd be able to forgive people's sins? The cancer that infects every human being? How, do, how does Jesus, how, why does he get to do that? Can I just kind of crawl my way out of my sin? They say only God can do that. You can't do that. The Pharisees are right there, not quite on the edge, because this is exactly what they were missing. C.S. Lewis, who's a, a famous um, theologian, is a professor at Oxford, like the 40s, 50s, 60s, wrote a ton of famous Christian books, has famously said that Jesus is going to be one of three people. He's either going to be a liar, a lunatic, or he's going to be Lord. Jesus is either going to be liar, a lunatic, or he's going to be Lord. And I think the Pharisees, if we're quite honest, probably thought he was a liar, right? Jesus goes, son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees go, no way. You're a liar. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's not true. You're making promises you can't keep. You're a liar, Jesus. And I would imagine the people around Jesus probably thought he was a lunatic. How can he declare that sins are forgiven? This guy's not mentally stable. He's making promises he can't keep. What about you? Where would you say you are on these three? Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord and Savior of your life? Have you been stiff-arming Jesus? You grew up in a Christian home. Just a lot of rules, right? Don't break the rules. That's what Christianity is. Don't break the rules. Jesus is a liar. It's not really worth it to die to myself to serve somebody else. Jesus is a lunatic. This Bible thing is fake. It's not real. There's no way that Jesus actually did these things. It's just not true. He's either a liar or a lunatic. But friends, look at this. I love verse 9. This is crazy. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, right? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. See, Jesus can say all he wants about things that you can't see. You can't see the majority of sin. There's some sins you can see. But he's just, you, you can just, the Pharisees are like, man, you're just talking a big talk, Jesus. Come on, you can't really heal sin, right? But if Jesus had come up to somebody and started levitating them like Star Wars, you'd be like, okay, I'm taking notice of this guy. He's legit. You start paying attention to him. 
And this is exactly what he does. Check out verse 10. This is crazy. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, so he looks at the paralytic, he points at him. This is crazy. You guys ready for this? I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed. Are you kidding me? He went out before them all, and they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is real. This isn't fake. This actually happened. This is crazy. Jesus actually does it. He didn't need to prove anything. He's the son of God. But he proved it. He proved in the power to heal his legs that he has the power to forgive sins. See, now the paralytic sins were already forgiven in verse 5. But Jesus flexes his authority by healing his legs as well. And this man's legs that didn't work, homeboy got up and walked out. Are you kidding me? This is real. Because remember, friends, the paralytic wanted his physical ailment healed. My legs, Jesus, they're not working. But Jesus searches the heart. And Jesus is searching your heart. I see now what the Pharisee wanted in, in physical healing. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That might be what you want, but that's really not what you need. See, friends, the primary issue that needs to be dealt with is your sin. You are paralyzed, yes, physically, but you're actually all paralyzed by your sin spiritually. And you're stuck. It's a cancer you cannot cure on your own. It's keeping you a slave to yourself and you're in bondage to it. So the question is, as we come to the end of the story, how in the world do we get freedom? How do we get out of this? What did, the, what did the paralytic do? Well, not really a whole lot. Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, I told you to hold on to it, pick it back up. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody in this room has faith in something. It's not a matter of if you're going to have faith, it's a matter of what you have faith in. Everybody's sitting in a chair right now, nobody's falling You have faith in the chair. It's not a matter of if you're going to have faith. It's a matter of what you have faith in. And the object of your faith matters a ton. Jesus says, and we saw their faith, their sins were forgiven. Friends, you accept this by coming to God through faith. Because this is why we're here. This is the greatest story ever told. At the beginning of time, God created man and woman in his image, in a garden, beautiful, flourishing, perfect world, like actually not a utopia. It was beautiful. It wasn't just some dream. It was real. Man had everything with God. And then man was tempted by Satan, by the devil, falls into sin, perfect, holy, set-apart, righteous God cannot be in the presence of sinful, rebellious, evil man. Separation in the garden. Adam and Eve cast out. And then throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, 
It's just man, again, attempts, attempts, attempts at gaining their righteousness, their right standing before God. Because, friends, we're all on a spiritual journey. Attempt after attempt after attempt, God puts prophets to declare truths about God, but God's people don't listen. God puts in kings to, to put in order, and the people don't listen to kings. We have to sacrifice lambs and goats to atone for our sins. But there's not a perfect sacrifice. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again for hundreds and thousands of years. What's a man going to do? God had a plan. And Jesus, the man we just spent 12 verses reading about, the second member of the Holy Trinity, puts on flesh. Because we couldn't ascend to heaven to get to God, Jesus stepped down into eternity to come to us. Greatest love story ever told. Despite your sin, despite your shame, despite the sin, despite the shame, despite everything, what you watched last night, what you did last weekend, whatever happened over break, whatever that is for you, Jesus came and he said, I want that and I'm going to nail it to the cross. And Jesus came declaring that the kingdom of heaven was coming and all you have to do is repent and believe. You have to turn from your sin, have a heart changed towards your sin, that I don't want that anymore. I'm acknowledging that it's wrong. I'm turning from it. My heart is now yearning for Jesus and I'm going to place my faith, I'm going to place my trust, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because Jesus lived the life that you could not live. And he died the death that you and I deserved. Perfect life on the cross, nails through his hands. A crown of thorns shoved onto his head, mocked, spit upon, beaten, killed. That should have been you. That should have been me. Because we're the sinful ones. Jesus was perfect. He was the better king. He was the better priest. He was the better prophet. He was the perfect sacrifice. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the tomb is now empty. He was dead for three days, but he rose back to life, beating death and holding life in his hands. And he says, if you come to me by faith, I can give it to you. And it's received by faith. And Jesus has ascended to heaven and he is coming back one day. And for those who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, he sent us to dwell inside of us. God has, for some unbelievable reason, let the Holy Spirit dwell inside of us to, to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment and to counsel us in how to walk with the Lord. There's a new conduct in life. When you've, when you've given your life to Jesus and you're born again, you're a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Your desires change. How you spend your time changes. Who you spend your time with changes. And we get to live in eternity with Christ. Friends, the life that you're seeking to find, if it's not found in Jesus, I promise you will fail you if it hasn't already. Jesus 
fellowship with him, union with him, relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords is where peace is found. It's where joy is found. It's where life is found. It's where the truest, purest, unadulterated love is found. It's right here in the text. But friends, notice the paralytic didn't do anything. He couldn't. He couldn't even move. It's not about what you're doing to try to get to God. You can't accomplish this by works. There's nothing you can do to atone for your sins. There's nothing you can do to get to God. He placed his faith in Jesus and trusted that he would heal him. Because Jesus is Lord and he alone has power and authority to forgive and heal you because he is God. But think on this story. The paralytic couldn't have made it to the house to see Jesus without his four bros, right? It's an interesting note. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, And then they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Right? So the guys are coming, they cut a hole in the roof, they got the ropes, and they're kind of letting this guy down because there's no way to get in. So they just plop him right down in front of Jesus, and Jesus is like, all right, right there. A bunch of guys holding his rope, helping him out. But here's the question. This paralytic guy had a couple dudes holding his rope. Who's holding your rope? Who's holding your rope? Who knows the the sin that you struggle with? Who knows the struggles that you carry? The shame that you've been burdened by? Who's actually walking with you? Who could you call in the middle of the night to process? Who could you call the who, who who you're relying on to pray for you? Who would be at your hospital bed if you went there tomorrow? Who's holding your rope? Who's walking with you arm in arm to go see the healer Jesus on a daily basis? Who are you in community with? Because friends, notice his friends did not save him. Jesus did. Who gets the glory in verse 12? They glorified God. They weren't saying, oh, look at the friends. They're so holy. No, Jesus gets the praise. He's the one who healed them. But God, for some reason, uses our, our brotherhood and sisterhood and our friendships The the process of growing with Jesus is not something to be done in isolation just behind a door with a cracked open Bible. It's meant to be done in community. Confessing and repenting of sin, sharing struggles, celebrating with one another. And guys, just because I work for a church doesn't mean that I don't need this kind of community. I need brothers in my life that are calling me out on stuff. I need brothers in my life who I'm confessing sin to. I need brothers in my life who I can put my arm around and walk with. I can cry with. I can laugh with. I can go play frisbee golf with. I can do whatever with. But I need guys who are holding me accountable and challenging me and encouraging me. Who's holding your rope? Who's holding you accountable? And who's going to hold it this semester? 
If you don't know who that is, one of the greatest things that we get to do at Salt Company is we get to engage in community groups. We get out of the rows in this room on a Thursday night and we get into circles and we do life together. We open the Bible, we share meals, we talk about life, we pray with one another. These are the people that can hold your rope. And if you're not connected with one, I would plead with you, like genuinely plead with you tonight to to just take a step of courage to join a community group, to have people hold your rope, to walk with you as you walk with Jesus. Because friends, here's the reality. The only final resting place for a human heart is found solely in the loving arms of Jesus. If you want to find peace, if you want to find freedom, if you want to find joy in your life, the only final resting place to find those things is in the arms of Jesus. Salt Company, would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the love that you just lavishly give us. You became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You loved us way before you ever, we ever first loved you. And Lord Jesus, I'm thankful you have authority and you are Lord. You're not a liar, Jesus. You're not a lunatic, Jesus. Who you are is actually who you are, that you're Lord, that you're Savior. That sin and Satan and shame does not have to have the last say. That we can spend eternity with you, finding life and joy that's only found in you. Lord Jesus, I praise you for the empty tomb. I praise you for the blood that was shed on the cross, the blood that cleanses all. And God, I'm grateful we can't do anything to get to you, but that you've come to us. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.